guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Messy Reformation. My name is Jason Rice. I'm pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. There he's a youth leader, worship leader, and I just like to say he does ministry wherever he goes. We started this podcast for one particular reason. We love the Christian Reformed Church, and we want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we also recognize that when Reformation happens, it is always a messy process. So what we're doing is taking time to interview various pastors throughout the CRC and talk to them about what Reformation might look like in our denomination. If you're listening and you're not a member of the CRC, we'd love for you to stick around anyways because the reality is most of the struggles that we're facing in the CRC are happening in in other denominations as well. So we'd love for you to listen in and we'd love to hear what you have to say as well. If you haven't already... Take a moment to click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We hope to drop episodes every Monday. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a positive review on iTunes because that just really helps spread the word about what we're doing. And with all that said, we're going to get to this week's show, which is part two of Willie and I's initial conversation about what Reformation may look like in the CRC. I think it's the George Barna poll, say up to 80% of students by their sophomore year in college will not be affiliated with any church at all. Um, We shouldn't be surprised by that. They, They really have never grown up in the church. They've never been taught the doctrine of the church, and they've never really been taught what church actually is. All they've been taught is, um, how to come to youth group and play dodgeball and just have um, supervised irresponsibility at its finest. So I think that's been one of the downfalls of youth ministry, and that's why we have kind of seen a reformation of sorts in youth ministry saying, we don't really want that. <laughs> we want the Word of God and all that it entails in manners of life and godliness, uh, because it has real implications on the lives of not just the students, but on the li- lives of the leaders as well. So would you agree with that? Yeah, well, and and the so one of the crazy things to me is that one of the reasons why so many youth pastors are tempted to go down the road of games and entertainment is trying to keep kids in the church, right? Mm-hmm. So it's been this like worry, hey, we've got 80% of the teenagers in our group are going to leave the church after they graduate. And so what we need to do is we need to keep them by whatever means possible. We need to do games and fun activities. We need to water things down, make it easier for them to come, make it less intimidating for them to come. And uh, then we'll keep these kids. And what you said, and what our experience has been, is that actually is why they're leaving the church because they've never actually been equipped to live the Christian faith mm-hmm. or they've never been equipped to be part of the broader, broader church. I mean, how many youth ministries is their focus to get kids equipped to join the adults when they graduate or even now, right? That was one of our big things is we wanted teenagers to be leaders in the church now as teenagers, right. not not one day in the future, but right now they can be leaders in the church in some way. And uh, that's not the case in, in a lot of places. And it just blows me away that the reason why they're doing the games and the crazy stuff 
is trying to keep them, but that actually is causing them to leave. Yeah, that's true because then they graduate high school and they step into an actual local corporate body and they expect it to be like what it was when they were in youth group. And we've done a very good job of preparing them to look for things that they should not look for. Uh, and therefore they leave and they go away. So I think by taking young adults and by taking teenagers seriously, as far as engaging their minds and hearts with true doctrine and what a knowledge of the church actually is and how to actually be articulators and defenders of their faith. I think that has been the more winsome approach, the discipleship model versus, um, because the problem with, and you highlighted this, it's a tendency for youth leaders and just youth workers to go in that direction of games and attraction the problem with that is, and you can speak to this if you want to, if you have those things available and that's how you're going to get your students, then that's how you're going to keep them too. Uh, you win them too, what you win them with. So if you win them with jokes and Cokes, your bag of tricks and sugar sticks, you have to have those things all the time. And pretty soon you are pastoring uh, essentially a youth ministry of unregenerate kids who are ready to walk away from the faith the minute they graduate high school. I don't know. Do you think that's yeah. true? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I've never heard that little saying before. Your jokes and cokes, a bag of tricks and sugar sticks. That was a pretty good line. I've never heard that one. Thanks. I've said it must it be because times. yeah, it must be because I'm out of the youth ministry world. I'm not cool anymore. You're not hip but, anymore, man. <laughs> no, I was never hip in the first place. I was. That's, that's why the youth kids always called me a lumberjack. I'm kind of just a redneck. <laughs> but <laughs> but either way, I think you're right and. uh uh, and one of the things that I always told youth leaders as we were talking about trying to help them in their ministry, I said, if you're going to try to compete with the world, um, they are going to win. Absolutely. They're way better at entertaining. Um, usually when the church tries to keep up with the world, tries to entertain the world, it is subpar and it is corny and it's cheesy every time. And most of the time when I walk into a church that's trying to compete with entertaining uh, in the way that the world entertains, I cringe. And I think we just look like we are stupid because we're trying to do things that are out of our lane that, that we're not, we haven't been called to do. Yeah. And so, but when we, when we dive down now, I mean, you and I, we had games with the kids, you know, we did things that were fun. I mean, and there's a part of just, when you're in community with people, you enjoy hanging out together and you do goofy things, you do fun things and you enjoy being around each other. But that wasn't the focus of our youth ministry. Most of that actually just happened organically before and afterwards. Mm -hmm. But the main focus of what we were doing was worship in the word of God. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we, we focused on attracting kids that way by what we were teaching, um, answering questions that they were asking and uh and then discipling them and, and loving them in that way and uh and well we saw great fruit from that and and we can't take credit for all of it because i would say that you know we we saw a number of kids graduate from the church and they're you know in their mid 20s now i would say mm-hmm. and uh yeah i'd say they're all in their mid 20s and they're already leaders in their churches um mm-hmm. but most of them were also kids that grew up in a christian home Mm-hmm. Uh, went to a Christian school, 
and then uh, and then attended church and were discipled at church. And so they had that that good old CRC three legged stool analogy <laughs> that uh, I know people want to get rid of and throw out. But I think it's still I have seen over and over and over how that three legged stool has produced solid Christians when when each one is doing their job, when when they're discipling people at home. And when they're discipling people in the church and when they're discipling people at school, then we have people who stick in the faith. Yes. Um, but when the home, when people, when the parents start saying, well, I'm going to send my kids to a Christian school because I don't want to disciple them. Right. <laughs> we have parents who didn't want to send their kids to a Christian school, but they brought them to youth group and they said, my kid better get Jesus when they're here. Yeah. And, uh, and I would say, well, they will, but they better get Jesus at home too. Um, and then I would get a funny look because they were kind of like delegating the job out to me. And so, but you really needed on three levels to, for consistency. I mean, we obviously had kids in our youth group who uh, didn't have Christian parents and went to a public school and only had our youth ministry as a tool of discipleship. And they're True. pretty solid kids right now. We had a few of them, but not all of yes. them. Some of them uh, you know, graduated and walked away from the church and and that happens too. But we did uh, see a lot of fruit by just pouring into these kids, discipling them and trying and and not focusing on games and entertainment. That's true. And you kind of spoke to this earlier. Um, you know, we, we were never necessarily against games when we started taking biblical truth more seriously. It's just the fact that it happened due to the fact that we see that as an enhancement of Christian fellowship. Um, we, we didn't see that as where your faith nurture or where the meat and the potatoes, you know, was actually coming from or where, how the sausage is made as far as the development of your faith. Um, I mean, uh, one of the, one of my favorite games to play is a good relaxing game of cribbage. And that kind of took off in our youth ministry and in our church to some extent too, is just to sit, play a game of cribbage and just talk. And some of those things, as you said, happened organically. That wasn't necessarily planned or manufactured, uh, but we just did that out of enjoyment of wanting to be around one another. But our students all knew that that is not where the foundation from their faith came from. It was sitting under red hot preaching of the word of God. Um, it's the spirit that gives life and God has chosen the word uh, that he is going to teach and instruct us and equip us with to be defenders of our faith. So I think our students recognize that. And uh, I don't know, do you want to speak to that? Yeah, well, I mean, it came from, I, I always like to tell when we talk about this, because obviously we have really strong opinions about this. Sure. But when I talk about it, we, uh, I always like to let people know it wasn't always this way, right? When, when you were what were you, you were in seventh grade when I started, right? As a youth pastor, youth director. Yes. I think so. You were really annoying. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I about strangled you a couple of times, but either way, um, I did not start youth ministry with this vision for ministry. It actually came through a couple of rebukes from people uh, over the years and not even like real strong um, people who had been Christians their whole life, but people who I, I remember I had one of our leaders came up to me after a, after one of my sermons and said, Hey, Jason, that sermon that you just gave was scripture light. <laughs> and, uh, man, God used that just cut me to the heart. And, uh, that was the beginning of changing how we did everything. I remember coming to our next 
uh, youth ministry team meeting and saying, all right, we need to change how we do things because we have not been focusing on the word of God. We've been, we've been playing, you know, we've been focusing on everything else and just throwing this little message in here. We need to change. And so we slowly started reforming things in our youth ministry over the years and refining it. And, and it came down to the focus of our youth ministry was on the word of God and fellowship. And uh, we said, if we could do those two things, well, the rest would come mission would, I mean, we had a lot of mission over 50% of our youth group were unchurched kids. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but that flowed from a focus on the word of God and fellowship. And uh, when we focused on those two things, it seemed like everything else started to fall into, into place. And so it took a while for us to get there. It took some rebuke and yet um, we got there. And then as we've been, as we were getting there and, and studying scripture, I remember, I remember reading Ephesians 4, where it talks about God giving the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry, Mm -hmm. so that they would, and I don't remember how to, the exact quote of the rest of it, but so that they would mature in their faith and not be tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine, like, oh, Mm -hmm. that's my job is to help people be equipped for works of ministry and to help them mature so that they're not tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine. Mm-hmm. And then I read 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, where it says all scripture is breathed by God and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I finally recognized how those two passages fit together, I realized that my job was to give people the word of God because Mm -hmm. God told me my job was to equip them for works of ministry. And the tool he gave me to equip them is the word of God. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's useful for making them complete, which means like sanctified in, in the Lord. And so it's a process of not only just filling their heads, but it's also changing their hearts and the things that they love as they live in the world. And, and so doctrine is the tool and doctrine is only just our understanding of the word of God. And the word of God is only our understanding of who God is and what he's done. And as we begin to understand these things, and then we live and worship God and we respond rightly, um, we grow closer to him. We get firmed up in our faith and, and, uh, and we don't see teenagers then, uh, walking away from the faith as quickly as they did in the past. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. So what else, uh, what else do you see? I I'm curious, um, you know, with this synod coming up in 2021 and now you're, you're supposed to be at that synod. Um, what are, what are your feelings towards what's going to be happening here in the next, uh, six, seven months? Um, that is an interesting question with just about no easy or quick answer. (laughs) Um, as you know, there've been developments over the last several years and even months, uh, regarding the issue of homosexuality within the church. Um, and there was the study committee that was kind of commissioned and given their task to, to give their report and, now that it's out, that is what's going to be discussed at this year's Synod, along with some activities from, uh, from some local churches regarding this, uh, this issue as well. So I think this is going to be kind of a hot-button Synod, 
as far as uh, these issues go. And I think these could have real implications on pastors and other church leaders as far as their willingness to stay in the CRC. And I think this all boils down to this. Is Scripture's teaching on these matters true and clear and exhaustive? And with those who are teaching contrary to this, will we bring about discipline? Are we going to exercise the mark of the true church, the third mark of the true church, mainly a faithful exercise of church discipline? Um, and I, I think we're going to find those things out here within a year um, if we're actually going to be still recognized as a true church and all that that constitutes. So um, I don't know. I, I was pretty happy with the conclusion of the report that had come out. I cannot anticipate the attitudes and reactions of other pastors or church leaders regarding this. I think my experience in 2019 let me know that I can be hopeful in some ways and apprehensive in others. Um, I think there are things that I can safely say, but other things that I need to leave only to the Lord's knowledge as far as what's going to happen. So that's kind of where I'm at. Like I said, I don't think there's any quick and clear answer, but uh, I think this might be a make it or break it time for our denomination. Yeah. So you're saying you're not, you're, you're not hopeful, but you're not despairing. You're just kind of not sure what's going to happen, huh? Yeah, I, that's true. The, the report that came out was solid and biblical and orthodox, and I was, I was pretty happy with it. Where my apprehensiveness comes in is our willingness to receive this um, basically as true instruction for our entire denomination. And that's where I kind of go, well, I could go one way or the other on that one. So there are some things that I'm willing to leave open um, as far as speculation goes, but there's other things that I think it may be wiser not to speculate um, because I don't want to be a pessimist and just say, nope, it's not going to be a good decision. A um, bunch of pastors are going to leave. There's going to be a split because I don't want to put limitations on what the sovereign Lord can do in his grace and mercy. Um, I do see trends in our denomination and other like-minded denominations to go towards that direction, but um, I don't necessarily know if that's a fair way to gauge this or measure this. So I'm leaving plenty of uh, things to the Lord's sovereign work as far as what's going to happen at Synod. Yeah, and I think there's a, a number of people who are kind of uh, despairing and, and uh, saying, you know, this isn't going to go the way that we want it to go, or churches, our denomination is just going to end up going the, the same direction that all these other liberal denominations have gone. We're not going to adopt this, and, and uh, we're just going to leave, right? And that's, um, I don't say that to, to worry people. I just say it as a reason that it's important for people to know that there's a number of pastors out there who are thinking, man, if we don't handle this right, we're leaving. And, uh, and a number of them are not expecting our church to handle it right. Right. Uh, yeah. And so I also, it's interesting, you know, you mentioned uh, the one aspect of, uh, we talk about the three marks of the true church, right? The pure preaching of the word, the right administration mm -hmm. of the sacraments, mm -hmm. and the right administration of discipline. Mm -hmm. And yet it doesn't seem like, I don't think it's 
specific to the CRC. I think I could say this about the church broadly Mm -hmm. speaking. Um, We don't seem to think that that's actually a mark of the true church, do we? No, uh, that has been uh, something that has been the the third mark that the church has kind of winked at. And we know it's there, but we don't use it Um, for a variety of different reasons. But that is the mark that is kind of kind of looked over either intentionally or most of the time intentionally, but other times unintentionally, uh, we don't like having to clean up mess. And the reality of the situation is when it comes to church discipline, sin is always messy (laughs) and it's never always super clear and cut dry. It varies situation by situation. And again, any pastor or any church leader knows that who's had to deal with some of these issues. Um, so I think those are some of the reasons why we just don't want to touch that. And we we tend to err on the side of love and grace and mercy. And I think because of that, we have shrunk back from being a people that also cares about what is right and what is just. Um, and this kind of plays itself out on a theological level, too. If you think your God is only loving and merciful Um, then you don't see God as holy and righteous and just. Uh, So I think it's just been a tipping of the scales in the wrong way um, that has kind of led not just the Reformed world, but you're right, the broader evangelical world to kind of shrink back away from saying, you know, God isn't an angry God. He does not have wrath. He does not show um, disfavor towards, towards sinful creatures. So I think that plays itself out on this level too. We ought to behave in that same way and we ought to show love and compassion and mercy. And I would say those things are true, but we ought not to sacrifice holiness or purity um, or biblical justice in these areas where they're appropriate. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and uh, you know, our denomination in particular, if we want to talk about the CRC, we have um, I think individually churches are erring on that side, but as a denomination too, we've seen uh, just a real difficulty in landing in certain spots where there might be tension, right? I think a number of people are looking back to all of the tension in our denomination over women's ordination and women in office, right? That mm-hmm. debate raged in our church for 20, 30 years. And, mm-hmm. and we lost a lot of really good, solid conservative churches in that battle. And then when the, when our denom- when the CRC finally made the decision that both stances are biblical, um, we still lost a number of churches in that. And, mm-hmm. and so we've, we've wrestled as a denomination, we've been afraid of losing churches. And so we've, tried not to take stances in certain places. We've tried to kind of be wishy-washy, trying to save our denomination, trying, we've even used the term, for the sake of unity, we're not going to take a stand on this. (laughs) Right. I love that. (laughs) And yet, um, yeah, what's ended up happening is that uh, there's more disunity, right? And it's all bubbling under the surface. And it's the same in, in any point in history, I would say. Back, you know, I talk, people talk to me about when the Reformation happened, when, when, you know, it happened 500 years ago, it just blew up the church and it turned the church into this big mess where it's all disunity and we have all these different denominations. And I have always said that disunity was there already. Yes. It was just covered up and hidden under the name of the one true Catholic church. 
Yeah. And all the Reformation did was take all of that disunity and just bring it to the surface and show what was truly there from the beginning. And I think that's the same is true in the CRC right now, that there is disunity happening in the CRC, whether we want to admit it or not. And it's because we've refused to take stances. It's because we've refused to to take disciplinary action because we've been just afraid of losing our denomination. And yet, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And because of that, we are losing it because we've mm-hmm. refused to take stands in this. Um, I just got one more final question for you, Willie. Is the yeah. CRC worth rescuing? Yes. And I'm tempted to just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, get, so I, we can, I think we can leave it at that for now. Um, well, no, go ahead. Elaborate on that. Sure. I think uh, the Christian Reformed Church and her heritage and her history and her orthodoxy for all of those reasons are worth recovering and saving. I think our confessional roots and status um, makes us a bastion in the Reformed world. And I really do think that our engagement with society and culture is needed right now more so than ever. So it's for these reasons that I think the CRC is worth saving, worth staying in, and worth investing in um, while she'll still have us. Amen. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. Yeah, we've talked about this a lot, and I'm sure people will hear me emphasize this over the next uh, episodes as well. But um, yeah, we believe the CRC is worth rescuing because we think we have something unique to offer the world, that our denomination has its own unique personality and uh, nuance in theology that we think is beneficial for uh, wherever God has placed our churches, but ultimately beneficial for the kingdom of God. And so we don't want to see the CRC collapse because we have something unique to offer. So what do you think, uh, just quickly, because we're running out of time here, uh, what do you think needs to happen in order to rescue the CRC? First and foremost, uh, we need pastors who are willing to just preach expositionally. Uh, we need parishioners, congregation members who are ready and willing to be equipped. And we need to be willing to be a denomination that lives a life of spiritual purity and holiness. Um, we need to be people who are not only hearers of the word, but also doers of the word, as James says. So it's for those reasons, I think uh, the CRC is worth saving. And I think that's what we ought to do in the following weeks, months, years, and generations. Well, guys, that's all we have for this week. So stay tuned for next week's episode where we interview Derek Bukema about reformation in the Christian Reformed Church. But until then, don't forget that this is Christ's church. And he bought this church with his blood. But he also warned us that wolves would come in and try to destroy his flock. So, keep a close watch on your life and doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation. Reformation.